We're in the middle of this series called Living by Faith, and this morning we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 as we've been doing, and um, we're going to focus in on just one scripture together, or one, one, uh, one uh, verse, I should say, one verse from chapter 11, verse 7, and um, as we do that, let me just quickly recap where we've been, um, whether you're a brand new believer, right? Um, or, uh, or you've been following the way of Jesus for some time, um, I think it's worth us asking this question of what is it to live my life by faith? What does that look like? Like at every age and stage of life, what does it mean for me to trust wholeheartedly in God and the promises that he has given to me? And this week I saw this quote from Harper's Magazine. It was quite depressing. Look at this. It said this. It says, it's a gloomy moment in history. Never has the future seemed so dark and incalculable. The United States is beset with racial, industrial, and commercial chaos, drifting into we don't know where of our troubles. No one can see the end. This quote got me thinking a lot about this series, about how do we, how do we live by faith in times like that? And here's why. Here's why that comes to mind. That's not a quote from 2023. That's a quote from Harper's Magazine in 1847. You know, it's interesting how history rhymes, right? It has always been the tendency, I think, of humanity and our brokenness to, to focus in on the worst of life, to settle into complaint or despair or darkness. And yet as Christians, we're called to something different. We're called to live by faith with hope and peace and joy. And so we've been studying these men and women in this chapter of Hebrews um, who give us, I think, an example of what that is. And this morning, we're going to turn to this man named Noah. You know Noah. What I love about Noah is when it comes to living faith, Noah was like all in, right? Um, and here's what Noah teaches us. Here's what we're going to find. Noah shows us how to stay rooted in faith, even when the world around us looks a bit like that. So let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read verse 1, just to keep us in mind of the theme of the series, and then we'll jump down to verse 7. So let's hear now God's word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Pray with me, will you? God, we ask this morning as we think about what this word means for our lives, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, we pray for clarity. Lord, as we look around at, at the world that we live within, God, we can see the need for light shining in darkness. We can see the need that you have called us to be salt. Lord, that others would come to know you through us. And so, God, we pray as we think about this word this morning that you would help us to live by faith. God, would you speak now for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. January 28th, 1986. You'll remember that was the day this Challenger space shuttle sat on its launch pad ready for ignition. 
Thousands of school children all around the nations were waiting for this live launch to take place. They had put a school teacher onto the shuttle for the first time. 73 seconds into flight, catastrophic failure ensued. Yesterday marked the 36th anniversary of the tragedy. All seven crew members lost their lives. While I was only two years old when that happened, all of us have that image still etched into our memory of the sky turning to disaster. Ronald Reagan called for a 32-month freeze on all missions. NASA began an investigative study as to what went wrong. And you'll remember after a lot of congressional drama, the investigation proved that this tragedy should have never happened. Test data from 10 years prior had red flagged a flaw in the flight's O-rings that everyone should have paid attention to. The warnings were documented on paper that if the weather got too cold, the O-rings would crack and easily fail. That morning of that fateful launch, the temperatures had dropped in Florida. They launched anyway. You know, as you think about it, most tragedies in the history of our nation have come to pass because somewhere, somehow, someone failed to heed the warning. Look again at verse seven with me. Hebrews says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. If you turn to the book of Genesis in chapter six, you'll find the complete story and I'm sure you remember it well, but let's look at it again. Look at this in chapter six, verse five. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's just stop and process what we just read. In 10 generations from creation, the earth has turned entirely and continually, the Bible says, corrupt. God looks at the complete uh, evil of Noah's day and it's, he knows it's entirely lost. And so with this divine grief, we're told God hits the reset button. And yet before God tells anyone his plan, we're told there was a man, one man who was worthy of God's warning. Noah found favor with God. Look at this in verse nine. We get a little bit better picture of why this is. It tells us Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation because he walked with the Lord. Now it's worth noting, if you were with us last week, there was one other man who we came across who walked with God. That was Enoch's life, right? And it's also worth noting, this is just generations later. This is now the great grandson of Enoch doing the exact same thing. Noah is walking with God despite the immoral and debased society that is encircling his life. And as he walks with the Lord by faith, God brings him this very specific caution. Look in verse 13. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So make yourself an, oak of, an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. 
This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30. Make a roof for the ark, finish it to a cubit above, and set the door for the ark on its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. Now, I'm no carpenter, but I, I looked up some metrics this week. Some say God asks Noah to build him this boat that is one and a half football fields long, an entire football field wide, and four goalposts high. Now, let's think about this ask from the Lord, right? This is no small command. You talk about living by faith. Remember, this is still primitive history. You know, A, first of all, it's, it's not like Noah jumped in the truck and went down to the Kenyan noble to get things started. B, Noah's told to seal up this boat inside and out with pitch. What is pitch? The scholars say pitch is this tar, this gluey-like substance that comes from trees. God wanted him to cover an entire football field's worth of a boat in that sticky stuff. And let's say Noah's able to pull this off. And this is just a guess. I'm just conjecture, right? But it's probably going to be one incredibly lonely endeavor. Because everyone around Noah and his family would have believed this man has gone insane. You know, you think doomsday preppers get bad press, right? This guy's, he's building a boat in the middle of a desert. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, builds an ark. Now, we could do an entire sermon series on Noah's life. Uh, but for now, I just want us to look at three ways that Noah builds this boat by faith. And as we look at these three things, my hope is that this example will spur us on in, in our own blueprint of our own lives as we build our lives on faith. The three things I want us to look at are this. First, Noah feared God. Second, Noah followed God's word. And third, Noah unapologetically lived his life as a witness of his faith. Now, as you look at those three things, I, I realize they, they seem really obvious, right? But as we dive in, I think Noah has something really profound to teach us this morning. Let's look at this first one, Noah feared God. In 2012, the, the FCC launched what was known as the Wireless Emergency Alert System, the WEA. The WEA is a nationwide program that allows authorities to send a reverse 911 text to either a geographic region, or if they need to, they can text the entire nation. Last week, my brother was sitting at his desk at work, and he got a text message of an active shooter in his area, and it told him to shelter in place right then and there. Of course, he saw the text, and he was in disbelief. He thought, no way. So he walked over to his window of his office, peered out, and sure enough, there was a gunman across the street shooting at police officers. It's crazy the times we live in, right? But, but imagine this. Imagine waking up tomorrow to a text message that told you the end of the world was nigh. Just think about the debilitating fear that would put the entire world in, right? That would be a terrifying thing, wouldn't it? But I want to be clear about this, this fear that Noah lived by, right? When we say Noah feared God, I think right here is where, where we can get off the tracks. Because when we talk about Noah's fear, it wasn't that he was fearful of the destruction to come, though I'm sure he thought a lot about it. Our passage tells us his fear was rooted in faith. Look again at your passage. It says, by faith, 
Noah, in reverent fear, constructed the ark. In other words, Noah's obedience wasn't rooted in this terror of what was to come, right? This, this selfish panic to build himself a boat. Noah's obedience is grounded in his faith in God. I think that needs some unpacking, right? Because I think a lot of the times when we hear the words fear God, it puts this image of this tyrant king with a whip in his hand, right? We say things like, man, that'll put the fear of God into him. And that's, that's what comes to mind. What is it to fear the Lord? What do we mean by that? The Greek word for that phrase, reverent fear, it's just one word, which is eulobeomai. I can never say that right. And as you look at how this word is used throughout the Bible, it, it means to have a worshipful regard for the Lord. It is to completely uh, fall before your knees in awe and total reverence and worship of who God is. You might think of like the, the famous Isaiah call story, right? When he has this vision of the Lord in the temple and upon his sight, he just falls flat to his face saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips living among an unclean people. But to have a reverent fear is, is not only to understand God's power and his holiness and his justice, but when we look at Noah, we also realize it is to realize the, the beauty and the grace and the mercy of the king. You know, we read this story, right? And we think flood and calamity and disaster, but we also need to remember this was a story of God's love and salvation. Noah didn't have a, a doomsday fear. He had a reverent fear. He had a fear of the God who had promised him salvation for those who put their trust in him. See, and for Noah, the one who walks with God, it's not this posture of terror, it's this worshipful admiration. Hebrews 12, I think, helps us understand this a little bit more. Look at this, verse 28 to 29. The author says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Noah feared God. So let's just take a step back and ask this question with me. What is it that you fear? What is your phobia? You know, I think much like Harper Magazine 100 years ago, we all have these fears that we wrestle with. We fear what tomorrow might look like. We fear what the, the world around us is doing, how it's spiraling. We, we fear change. We fear instability. We, we fear death itself. But again, for Noah, he sets all of that aside and instead he chooses to live his life by fear in the Lord. You see the difference? You know, again, Noah would have been the laughing stock of his day. I guarantee you, someone was ridiculing, mocking, ostracizing him. But it doesn't matter, right? Because for Noah, he doesn't care about what a faithless world thinks of him. He, he doesn't fear man. He fears God. I think we should stop and ask as we look around at our own walk, who is it that I fear? When I think about tomorrow, you know, do I succumb to the latest headline or, or the latest fear of hardship or, or trial in my life? Or do I respond in reverent worship before the Lord? 
Do I respond with this, this understanding that what he promised is still coming to fruition? See, Noah, he could have feared many things. Noah chooses to fear in God instead. And here's what that fear looks like. I think this is our second point. In this reverent fear, Noah then trusts and follows God's word. Now, again, you might think, well, that's a no-brainer, right? If you're going to fear the Lord, of course you would follow his word. But just notice this with me. Noah isn't just faithful in the big things like go build me an ark. Noah's faithful in all things. Look at this Genesis 7-5. It tells us that verbatim, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you put me on a project, the skies and scope of a, of a boat, of that kind of proportion, somewhere along the way, I'm probably gonna cut corners, right? And try to find the path of least resistance. But Noah, Noah's obedient to a T. I mean, just imagine the diligence of being faithful to what God had called him to day after day, month after month. For years, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Again, it doesn't mean he was perfect, but he was faithful. Scripture doesn't give us an exact timeline on this build. Um, scholars say it's anywhere from 30, 40 years all the way to 100. But if you think about it, that's some kind of stamina, right? To trust in God's promise for that kind of time, even when it still hasn't come. You ever play the classic trust fall game? You know what I'm talking about? Where like one person stands up on a table and everyone else holds their arms out and the person on the table is supposed to yell falling and then everyone else is supposed to catch him. You ever play that game? Brian, you can take this tonight. Use it in youth ministry. I think I played it a hundred times over, right? And it always ends up the exact same way. You get the person up on the table. You say, do you trust me? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I trust you. And then everybody else is giggling in the room. And you say, okay, lock your knees like a plank and fall backwards. And what do they do every time? Like nine times out of 10, they freeze up in hesitation. Why is that? It's a hard thing to trust in a future you can't see. And notice this. Noah doesn't just believe that a flood's coming to earth. He puts his trust in the one who told him as such. His faith is proven by his works. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. See, I feel like this is a, a challenge directly for you and I, right? I think it's so easy for us to base the measure of our faithfulness on like the big things. Like we know Noah was faithful because he built an ark. We know that. But what about Noah in the sun and in the rain over and over again, day after day? What about Noah hammering and sawing and then comes the tar and the gathering up of all the animals just so? And what about Noah all the while as a father in obedience to his children? What about as a husband in, in, in coordination with his wife? What about Noah in praise and worship to God throughout all of it? How about Noah and his habits of being faithful to God in the small things? Genesis 14, 15, or John 14, 15 to 16, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. And I think it's worth us taking a step back and just pondering this for a minute. You know what? I think we often think of our faith in terms of like the majors, right? I don't steal. I don't cheat. I, I don't lie. 
So I'm doing pretty good. And yet to live a life of faith is not just to pursue the big things, but it is to be faithful in all things, right? What about gluttony? How about gossip? What about honoring the Sabbath, even when it's negative 20 out? How about serving the poor, sheltering the homeless? What about the daily habit of being faithful in prayer and, and study of God's word? How about committing to one another as, as fellows in the Lord, as a church body? Spurring one another on. You know, it's, it's not about a scorecard of how well we keep these things. I think the question is, does your faith spur you on to all things that God has commanded us? Noah didn't just live into the ark. He did all that God commanded him. You know what one of the most repeated commands in and all of scripture, you know what it is? I, I love legacy. You know, it's such a small congregation. It's more, of a, it's more of a dialogue of a sermon. So I asked that question. Guesses started to come out. Someone rose their head. They said, it has to be fear God. Well, right, because that's where the sermon's going. But it's actually, it's, it's not fear God. It's, it's not quite what you think. It's super basic. It's just three words. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Psalm 150, in one psalm alone, in just six verses, the word praise is used 13 times. So what if we just, instead of all that, what if in every moment of our, of our day, in obedience to God, we just simply tried to do just that, to praise God, to praise him in the big things, to praise him in the small things, to praise him in the seen things, the unseen things, the things we look forward to, the daily routine, the mundane things. Because let's face it, right? Sometimes God calls us to something awesome, like building a boat that's gonna save humanity. But if we're honest, most of the time, God calls us to do much more ordinary things. How do we praise him in the day-to-day? The -day? Noah feared God. And in his reverent fear, he followed every word of God his whole life long, which brings me to my third point. And that is that Noah then witnessed to others by unapologetically living his faith. Recently, I came across the story of a man named Franz Moore. I'm sure you've never heard of Franz before. Franz Moore was quite the accomplished musician. In fact, Franz was so gifted he was asked to play at Carnegie Hall more than any other artist in his lifetime. The only difference between Franz, though, and the, the other musicians was Franz never played before an audience. That was because it was Franz's job to tune the piano. And every time a famous musician would come to town, Franz would be the one who would slip behind the scenes before they came on stage and make sure that every key was tuned just so. Last year, Franz went to be with the Lord and his obituary was published in the New York Times. This is what it said about him. It said, sometimes a string would snap or a pedal would need adjusting and he would step into the spotlight for just a moment, but he did much of his work alone on that famous stage and with others around the world. You know, Franz never got asked to do big things, right? He was always just this guest who showed up and then left. And yet every person he interacted with came to see his faith. 
In fact, Henry Steinway himself was asked, what made Franz so unique in his life? What made him so special? This is what Steinway said. He said, to understand Franz, one must understand his Christian faith is at the core of his being. It affects everything he says and does. Franz was faithful in the small things. Luke 16, Jesus said it like this. He said, the one who's faithful in very little is faithful in very much. See, our lesson ends, right? We've really only went through one verse, our lesson, the first part of our verse. Our lesson ends in the second part of our verse like this. It says, by the actions of Noah, I'm summarizing there, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. How did Noah condemn the world? You know, as Noah lived out his obedience in the, the day-to-day, you might say the ark became like this prophetic hourglass, right? It was this symbolic image of what was coming. In other words, Noah preached this message of salvation, not just by the words that he spoke, but by the, the life that he lived in conformity to God's word. Has it ever dawned on you that the fact that there are churches with the doors open on Sunday mornings and cars in the parking lot as people are driving by serves as a witness that God is with us. Serves as a witness that God is calling for people's salvation. So, you know, I think much like Noah, we, we ignore the reality, like the actual enormity of the flood, right? We've turned the story of Noah into this, this children's painting and in our nurseries with these happy animals and, and rainbows in the sky. But the fact is, right, a worldwide flood is something far more serious than that. It's a testimony, I think, of how serious God takes the issue of a sinful world that is turned from him. And yet simultaneously, in God's mercy, that Noah reminds us that God also brings a vessel of salvation for those who come to him by faith. And just as the faith of Noah saved him from the flood and caused him to walk with God in a fallen world, so we too have been saved by grace through faith. Noah's life, I think, is one worth emulating. Noah puts his reverent fear in God instead of succumbing to the fear of tomorrow and what it might bring. Noah puts his trust in God's word, even when those around him saw God's word as half crazy. And as a living witness, Noah then preached God's salvation with unapologetic obedience to him. You know, I titled this sermon, Faith in the Flood. I'm not so sure that's correct, right? It's, it's not that Noah's faith came alive in the flood. It's that long before the flood came, Noah lived his life by faith. Let's ask God to help us do that this week. Will you pray with me? God, we recognize that you call specific people to unique tasks in challenging times. God, we know sometimes you call the ordinary to do the extraordinary, and, and sometimes you call your church to just be faithful in the day-to-day -day obedient tasks of life. So Lord, we pray this morning, would you help us 
to have a reverent worship and awe and fear of you as we go about our day. God, would you help us, guide us, spur us on to, Lord, not just major in the majors, but also in the minors too. Lord, that we would be obedient to your very word. God, would you give us the courage when you call us to do crazy things, to step out in faith. Lord, we ask all of this, not so that we would be glorified, but Lord, so that our lives would bring glory to you. Lord, help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.